welcome to the 28 Dales Later podcast. My name's Steve Wharton, and together with Natalie Wilson and some guest presenters, we'll be taking you on a journey around the north of England, celebrating its landscape, nature and heritage. If you've been attracted to this episode by the title, Size of Buttermere, and you're after some geographical facts, I will not disappoint you. Buttermere is six-fifths of a mile long, less than an inch deep at the edges, and wet all the way through the middle. The size in this title actually refers to a man, a northern English visionary, who influenced the folklore and tourist habits of the Lake District, particularly the valley that contains Buttermere and Crummock Water. A businessman, historian and raconteur, whose own story begins in Liverpool, Nicholas Size was born in 1866, according to his christening records from the Christchurch Hunter Street, which was in the parish of West Derby, Liverpool. His father, Henry John Size, was a ticket collector. Henry had entered the railway service in 1852, and it was an exciting time for trains. Opened in 1830, the Liverpool to Manchester line was the first intercity in the world. Henry rose through the ranks to become the district goods superintendent of the London and North Western Railway, which had been responsible for taking the line through to Bradford and opening the Bradford Wool Exchange Station in 1850. It was boom time in Northern England, thanks to the wool trade, and to keep up with demand, Bradford Exchange first of all moved in 1867 and was then completely rebuilt with extra platforms in 1880. Nicholas Size followed his father into railway management, and as goods manager of Bradford Exchange, he must have made a small fortune. By the 1920s, Size already had his eyes set on life in the Lake District, having bought the dilapidated Victoria Hotel in Buttermere. But it would be another seven years before he was able to leave the railways and concentrate on his new life as a hotelier. Size would probably have taken the train through the northern fells to Cockermouth, What an amazing journey that would have been. But alas, the branch line was cut as a result of the beaching report. Instead, I'm capturing the sounds of the Cumbrian Coast Express steam locomotive run by the railway touring company as it pauses for its assembled fans at St. B's station. And as size did a hundred years ago, I will now change my mode of transport and head through the Vale of Lawton towards Buttermere. Or at least... I'm going to try. Just past the village of Lawton and I'm crawling along behind cows that are being moved from one field to another. But is that not the lure of the lakes? To come to a place where the clocks tick just a little bit slower. Before tourism developed in Buttermere, the local economy had relied on cattle farming and then Herdwick sheep. Plumbago, mined at Bounderbeck, and slate brought down from Honister were big business in the 18th century. Towards the end of the 1700s, it became part of the circuit from Keswick when grand tours of the Alps were scuppered by Napoleon. Accommodation was available at the Char, an inn enhanced by the fame of Mary Robinson, who was born in 1778 and was the renowned beauty of Buttermere. The Queen Victoria Inn, now the Bridge Hotel, opened in 1847, 
and there are records of the Buttermere Hotel, which is now the Youth Hostel, from 1898. Sides renamed the Victoria as the Bridge Inn, and bought land in the valley so that his guests were able to walk without opposition from local farmers, which is exactly what I'm going to do now as well. His fascination for the area went beyond entrepreneurial zeal, though. He was an active member and contributor to the Cumberland and Westmoreland Antiquarian and Archaeological Society. Among submissions by notable academics, such as the Collingwoods, Size presented his own work regarding the remains of Click Mill at Buttermere. Click Mills date back to the early medieval period, sometimes called Norse Mills, and have a gear-free horizontal mechanism that works in shallow waters and makes a clicking sound as it turns the millstones. Size's own research found only four surviving examples of Click Mills, one in Ireland and three in Norway, giving a strong clue to their Viking heritage. By his own admission, the gaps in firm historical evidence were fertile ground for his imagination, and he began writing tales of Viking settlers in the valley. His initial pamphlet evolved into a book, The Secret Valley, and was published in 1929 by Frederick Warne, the publishers who also handled Beatrix Potter and Hugh Walpole's works. The Secret Valley is definitely written with visitors to Buttermere in mind, and I think this was a canny bid to make an otherwise hostile and barren landscape spring to life with associations to the actions of his characters. He wanted his guests to get as much from the area as he did. From Chapter 4, Guerrilla Warfare The Secret Valley was found to be a splendid centre. It already had a watermill and bakery to take the place of the old handmills or querns used elsewhere. And also... The Earl rebuilt the great wooden manor house and organised a signalling service from the shoulder of the mountain Robinson, which in those days was called Robeacon, an awkward word to pronounce. The paths up this mountain were widened and improved, as can be seen today, and though the Earl and his lieutenants, Aching and Old Arry, were nearly always fighting away, everybody kept in touch with Buttermere. In modern days, the fell races at Grasmere and elsewhere provide wonderful exhibitions of the speed at which the Dalesmen can run up or down a mountain, and we may be sure that in the ancient fighting, greater efforts were made, and places which the Normans could hardly climb at all gave safe and easy passage to the local men, so that small detachments of Normans were massacred whenever they ventured away from safety. Every twist of a mountain torrent, every patch of vegetation, either low down or high up, was likely to conceal a band of well-armed men, hard fighters, who all had some personal loss to avenge. And therefore, it was not surprising that Earl Bothar's followers had many successes. As well as his books, Size invested in the valley, buying land between the two lakes for a golf course, and also the wood either side of Mill Beck that runs parallel with the road to the Newlands Pass. In 1937, he renamed it the Fairy Glen, and I'm sure that tales of the Fey folk and other supernatural creatures were in plentiful supply. I'm taking a walk through the Fairy Glen now. It's about half three on an early November afternoon. Rather than being cut off from the views, Every now and then, the trees part a little to, to frame the fells on the other side of the valley, and then the path leads you on, through the moss, leaves, past crag and torrent. One who lingers finds tongues in trees, 
books in the running brooks and sermons in stones. What I love about Size's books are that his love for the area shines through, as does his enthusiasm as a storyteller. A real, sat-by-the-fire, spinning yarns so that you buy more beer kind of storyteller. As much a part of Lakeland as the famous Will Ritson, landlord of the Westwater Hotel and self-proclaimed world's biggest liar. After an in-depth description of Norman military history, Size will suddenly address the reader, bringing you back to the present and to Buttermere, with reminders that the walls, roots and mountains those characters looked on in the 12th century are the same as you can see round here today. I've just seen a very elegant heron fly off from its fishing rock at the confluence of the beck and a waterfall. Whereas swans are celebrated round the lakes as stately creatures, I do have a soft spot for herons. Perhaps it's their solitary nature that chimes with my own preference for being on my tod when I'm out and about. Or maybe it's their demeanour that gives a suggestion of aristocrat turned poacher. Hmm, a very characterful bird indeed. The plans Nicholas Size wasn't able to realise included a service station for newly fashionable motor cars, a cable car and an alpine-style beer garden with German Umpa-Band. Most critics have labelled the first two as unsuitable monstrosities and the beer garden as plain crazy, but I think I've spotted a link. Bradford Exchange was moved in 1867 to serve the wealthy wool merchants, the majority of whom were immigrant businessmen who dazzled their clients with grand building designs, soaring doors, ornate ironwork and intricate masonry. This area of Bradford is still called Little Germany, and size would have been in close contact with the merchants, commercially and socially. He probably knew the family of Frederick Delius too, the Bradford-born composer. But locals and war got in the way of these grand plans. Just as Covid has ruined my more modest objective of grabbing a pint at the Bridge Inn. They've already shut for November's lockdown, so I'm going to head to Croft House Farm Cafe instead. Hiya, you alright? Hiya. Yeah, is there a chance for a quick drink for you? Sure. Absolutely, yeah. There's something I found in the Secret Valley which struck me as familiar after doing some research about Nicholas Size. Here's the extract from the book, from chapter 14. The victory of Ranadale was magnificent, but Earl Aiken was among the dead. His body lay where the little church was subsequently built in Memento Mori by the monks of Carlisle long afterwards. But Aiken was carried to the spot from which he had engineered the battle in the Vale of Newlands in accordance with his own wish, and a hill has ever since been called Aikin's Howe. The English dead were conveyed, mostly by water, to the Long Howe, but Aikin's body lay all night in the centre of the great house, coffined and surrounded by candles. At daybreak it was fastened on a horse's back, and those who loved him best made a procession past the mill and up the long halls to the left, where there is now a road. Then, from the top of the hill along the ridge to the left again, until they came to the place where the soil was deep enough for a grave. 
Here the priest from Gatesgarth read the dignified and comforting words with which the living part from their best beloved dead and leave them to the wind and rain forever. Now compare that to the local newspaper account of Size's funeral in 1953. The death occurred at Buttermere Hotel on Tuesday after a long illness of the 86-year-old author and hotel proprietor, Mr John Nicholas Size, in accordance with arrangements he made years ago after long negotiations with Cockermouth Council, he will be buried on Friday following a service in Buttermere Church in his own privately chosen grave at a place on the breast of a little mountain called Nixon Howe, which is on the north side of Newlands Halls. Despite the similarities, there was a big difference between the funerals. The place where Size requested to be buried didn't have soil deep enough to dig a grave, and so a hole had to be blasted in the rock using explosives. Heavy rain prior to the funeral meant that the grave filled with water, and so to weigh down Size's wooden coffin, the bearers were forced to pile rocks on top of it. Perhaps the most beguiling aspect of his legacy is the annual pilgrimage to the Ranadale Bluebells, up they pop, every year and carpet the valley. They're an attraction that's getting more and more popular, especially when digital photos of them can be shared so easily. I doubt Size was the first person to write about them, but the story that he attached is still being quoted by visitors nearly a hundred years on. Chapter 12 Ranadale knots are like a series of knuckles crowning a long ridge with precipitous sides. The hill provides a splendid view, though not much more than a thousand feet high, and it seems to hang over Crummerquarter, while the country is spread like a map from the Solway to Great Gable, which is the centre of everything in Lakeland. Here sat Earl Botha with his son Gilla and his trusty brother Aiken, watching the approach of the Norman army. The night had been spent in reorganisation instead of sleep, and now all were ready for the supreme struggle. Thus, Ranulf found himself in a narrow place, surrounded by an unexpected multitude of enemies. It was like a bad dream. All was chaos and terror, for none knew whether to push forward or rush backwards towards more open ground. Thus, they became massed together and got into each other's way as both are and Aiken expected. Afterwards, Ranadale Valley was like a charnel house, but in the course of time the birds and beasts, the insects and worms, all did their appointed work, and today you can only say that there are more bluebells here than anywhere else. And perhaps there may be something in Omar Khayyam's idea. The loveliest flowers may spring from some dead Caesar's breast. Nicholas Size left more than just a few books and directions to the Bluebells. He bought land and opened access for tourists to enjoy Buttermere and Crummock Water. But more than that, he gave them licence to let their imaginations run wild too, by filling the valley with his characters. As I'm walking up to the car in the dark, I see an ominous sight for this part of the world. A solitary light on the fells and a mountain rescue landy heading towards it. I hope for two things. 
Firstly, that all concerned make it safely off the mountain. And secondly, that there is a modicum of drama attached to the events. For as we've learnt from Nicholas Sight, the Buttermere Valley loves a good story. Thank you for listening to 28 Dales Later. If you'd like to see pictures associated with this episode, and maybe if you want to share your own pictures of your favourite places around Buttermere and Crummock Water, then please go to facebook.com slash 28 Dales Later.